Come back with me. Where? Back to the future. Great, Scott, what a great time we're going to have with this sermon series this Christmas. We're glad that you come today. Exciting times have come together. I must have spoke too long just in case for this one, but no, have no fear. Learn my lesson. We're glad that you're here today. Exciting times as we are beginning the sermon series on Back to the Future Christmas. He's still king, and uh, it's going to kind of be that uh, thought is appropriate time for us because uh, a lot of us are wanting maybe to get back, maybe had a little bit different Christmas last year, we want to get back to the way things were, but I think what we may want to learn is that we want to be able to move toward the future and uh, we want to be able to move ahead uh, instead. And we're going to be looking at uh, many of the Old Testament prophecies about the coming of the Christ child, kind of relate those with the New Testament fulfillment of that is, and so today in order for us to be able to Move to the future, going to go back to Genesis 3. So you called all that, didn't you? Go to Genesis 3 if you would. We're going to be reading verses 14 and 15 to begin with. But if you'll have Genesis 3 open, we're going to be looking at uh, several verses, of course, in that familiar passage. Genesis chapter 3, verses 14 and 15 to begin with. Thank you so much to our praise band and praise team. Appreciate you leading us in worship. Uh, love the old songs and some new ones as well today. We're thankful for those who have... Uh, uh, put together our worship service and our sanctuary so it might be decorated. We appreciate that. Excited, of course, kind of puts us all in the Christmas spirit. But we're glad you're here today. If you're, you have chosen well on this first Sunday in December uh, to begin the month uh, in the Lord's house today. Genesis chapter 3, this now is the Word of God. We'll be reading verses 14 and 15 where it says, the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock, above all the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, the dust you shall eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. You shall bruise your head, he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Notice the way it says it in the NIV. We have that, I think, also on the screen. Last part of the NIV says... He shall crush your head, and you shall bruise his heel. This is the first prophecy of the coming Christ child. There was a fifth grade, a third grade Sunday school teacher that was teaching a class, and in order to make a point, he shared a couple of short Aesop's fables, and when he got through, he said, ask the class, do you believe this to be true? And they all said, oh, no, that can't be true, because animals don't talk. Then he told another story, a story about... Uh, Story about a dog who actually would, uh, every day while its owner was away, would come and open up the refrigerator door, take out the ketchup bottle, squeeze it onto the floor, lick all the ketchup out of all the floor, and then pick up the ketchup bottle, then throw it away into the trash. And uh, this would happen time after time, time after time. The owner's kind of losing his mind because he knew he kept buying ketchup, but there was never any ketchup in the refrigerator. Until one day, after the dog came and took the ketchup out and let it all out on the floor or licked it up, he missed the trash basket, thus the culprit was revealed. Then he asked the Sunday school teacher, asked the class, do you believe this to be a true story? And they all looked at one another and they voted and they voted that this was false. And then he went old school and he held up a newspaper and he had a newspaper with the title read, The Dog Who Loves Ketchup, and it told the story of that which was taking place. 
And so they re-voted and they decided that it must be true because it was in the paper. They considered the source. And while not everything that's in the paper, not everything that we hear reported is true, they considered the source. This Christmas, I want you to consider the source. I want you to consider the one who is the source of all truth, the one who is the source of life and love and hope. And as we approach Genesis chapter 3, we must consider the source. Even if you have heard this story, the story of the fall of mankind many times before, I want you to consider the source today. Because if we're honest about Genesis chapter 3, it raises about as many questions maybe as it answered, such as why did God leave the tree in that garden if they were not supposed to eat of it? And why even without a hint about the devil or about Satan in chapters 1 and 2, why does he suddenly appear in the form of a serpent, and why would he be allowed in the garden? But while I'm not a Bible scholar, I am a Bible student. And I have to tell you, in reading the Bible, I have found that the Bible does not answer every question that I have. Some mysteries will not be revealed until I get to heaven. I understand that. But however, I have considered the source and considered to be all true. Our vote is not needed to establish its authenticity. I hope that you catch my drift. God's purpose in the beginning, and still His purpose for today, is to have a relationship with men and women and boys and girls and students and teenagers and everyone who lives on the earth. Satan's purpose is to bring separation between mankind and God to take as many with Him to destruction as He can. Now we have to admit that sometimes His strategy seems to be pretty effective. People paid large sums of money to advertise his lifestyle. Some making the millions and the billions who sing his ballads and peddle his goods. In the church, he uses the divide and conquer method, which works pretty successfully sometimes. And you see, I still believe that the church, I believe that believers are his main target. Not because he can take us out of the hand of our Heavenly Father, but if he can keep us from growing, if he could keep us from doing that which we have been called or following His purpose, then He can keep us from continuing to be a part of the kingdom work. For it is the church that called the means by which Christ is going to continue His work. But thank goodness, greater is He that is in me than he that is in the world. And there are, as we approach this Christmas season, I believe there are more opportunities that we have this Christmas season. Maybe particularly this one. More opportunities that we might be able to grow in our faith. Opportunities that we might be able to mend relationships. And opportunities that we might be able to share with others the good news. We want to be sure if we're going to follow these opportunities that we're listening to the right voice. As we seek to listen to the right voice, we want to make preparations for normal, a normal Christmas. Now, I put the normal there in quotations because... Probably for many of you, last year was hardly a normal Christmas. Last year we did a lot of things different in the church. You probably did a lot of things different in your families. One of the things we did different last year is uh, we had two Christmas Eve services primarily so that you might be able to social distance more. But my goodness, all of you ended up coming to the early service instead. So we're back to one this year. We'll put it on your calendar. It's going to be at 4 o'clock but for sure, Christmas Eve is still going to remain on December 24th, in case there's any confusion. But I really do not want you to have a normal Christmas or to go back to the way things were. 
Wouldn't it be terrible to have gone through all the things that we've gone through over the last 20 month, 21 months, all the things that the world has gone through and not learned any lessons for us not to be changed, not for to be more like Christ or more people to be looking for answers found in Jesus. Now understand that the change that needs to take place doesn't happen automatically, but if we listen to the right voice, it will not be just a normal Christmas that will occur, but it'll be a time and a place and a celebration where His name is glorified and our faith is made stronger. One of the things that seems hard for many people, even oftentimes many believers, and so it's not impossible to those outside the kingdom, is to distinguish the voices in the world today. The voice of Satan, the voice of the world, the voice of self, and then there's the voice of God. I believe in, that this passage will help us to be able to know the difference. Uh, Genesis chapter 3 has been called one of the most important chapters in the Old Testament in being able to understand God's purpose and how He wants to have a relationship with us. We, we've read Genesis chapters 1 and 2 before about the creation of the world, about man and Adam, man and Eve, Adam and Eve, and of course, and about the first marriage that took place, and, uh, and everything we understand was good. In fact, sometimes it is mentioned that it was very good. Well, what went wrong? How did life get so complicated? Genesis 3 helps us to answer that question along with what to do with sin, or what does God do when we disobey? One thing for sure, that He wants us to hear His voice and to follow Him. But on that day, in the garden, there was another voice, a different voice, that was heard. If you're following along in your notes, there was a voice of lies. A voice of lies. If you're taking notes, jot that down quickly, because I want you to read Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1 says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field, that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Eve knew that it was a different voice. Now, can you possibly imagine Adam and Eve in the garden, and the only voice they knew besides their own was God's? Then perhaps to her amazement and wonder, she heard another voice. A crafty, subtle, intelligent creature spoke to her words of which she had no defense except one. She had a word from God, but she listened to the wrong voice. Now, let's, let's look at the process that led Eve into sin. First of all, there was doubt. Now, ladies, let me pick on you for just a moment. The process that leads to sin for many females may be different from that of men. It often, for some, begins in the heart. Sometimes it begins with hurt or attitude or anger. For the serpent, for Eve, the serpent raised some doubt. Did God really say that? Did He mean it? And does it really matter? 
Well, the answer to those questions should have been an emphatic yes. Then the doubt led to denial. Satan said, you're not really going to die if you eat of this fruit. And she may have thought herself to herself, you know, this is really not going to be that bad for me. And then it led to delusion. Eve, you're going to be like God. Eve thought, well, I have all this knowledge. I'll be able to impress all of my friends and all the other desperate housewives of the Garden of Eden. Now, there's a reality show. She was really in delusion because she didn't have any other friends, at least human anyway, and there were not any other housewives. Maybe she did think it would impress her creator or even her husband. But the new voice, the voice of lies, is a master of creating the delusion that we're going to impress others by disobeying God or somehow by our disobedience, our life will be better. But we need to know that that is a lie. Now, sometimes that voice may be right in that sometimes when we follow the worldly ways and not godly ways, others in this world might be impressed. But to live to impress others is to have a low achievement. As a matter of fact, Jesus was talking to the Pharisees or about the Pharisees and others who lived only to impress others. And he said, they will get what they desire and nothing else. God will never be impressed with disobedience. And then the next step in the process is desire. She went to the tree and saw that it was pleasing to the eye, good for food. It would make her wiser, she thought. By the way, if you're following along with this, you may have one too many blanks in order to fill in. You could fill in and find a six, but the preacher can't count, so you have a, maybe another blank there. But fifth is decision. She would disobey God and she ate. Now, men, before we're too hard on the female of the species, although in just five and a half verses, sin entered the world. But look at poor Adam. One-fourth of a verse and he sinned. She gave, he took, and he ate it. And while women tend to begin temptation of the heart, men often begin with the eye. For most women, it could be a five-step process. Doubt, denial, delusion, desire, and decision. For many men, it's just a three-step process. Look with the eye, lust in the heart, and a leap into sin. Look with the eye, lust in the heart, and a leap into sin. It may be that Adam had already spied out that tree, which God said that they were not to eat of. He may have thought, that fruit sure looks good on that tree. I'd like to get me some of that. Perhaps he'd let the look turn into lust, into the scheming of Satan. He may have known that Adam was a pushover. If he's going to get them both, he better start with the one that was more difficult to persuade. Now, this next statement does come from some observation and maybe some other sources. But while, while most women perhaps are more thoughtful and analytical when it comes to temptation and sin, and most men fall into temptation from a look of the eye and lust in the heart, the lines are getting blurred Men and women and boys and girls and teenagers are yielding to temptation and falling into sin quicker and easier than ever before. And even church folk, we live in a day when it's necessary to be on guard. John, the disciple of Jesus, the gospel writer, the writer of the letter said in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 16, he said, be aware of these three things. 1 John 2, 16, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but from the world. Now, all three were in the garden. We saw in chapter 6, she thought, saw that it was good for food, lust of the flesh, pleasing to the eyes, 
lust of the eyes is good for gaining wisdom, the pride of life. To be sure, these are the three ways or three of the ways in which the enemy attacks. These are the three ways in which Satan tried to tempt Jesus when he was in the wilderness for those 40 days after his baptism, you might remember. The first he was brought after he'd not eaten for those 40 days. He was told to tell the, turn the stones into bread, lust of the flesh. Then Satan said, look at all the cities of the kingdoms of the world, all are yours if you bow down and worship me, lust of the eyes. He said, throw yourself down from the pinnacle of the temple, the pride of life. Don't think that Jesus does not understand your temptations. He was tempted in every way in which we have been tempted, yet he is without sins for from Adam and Eve into the garden to Jesus in the wilderness to the temptations that we face today, we need to recognize there is a voice of lies and the voice of lies always leads to destruction. Another voice that was in the garden that day, and those are the voice of excuses. The voice of excuses. Read with me, if you would, verses 8 through 13 of Genesis chapter 3. Verse 8 reads, And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman you gave me to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. This is the voice that is most like our own. It's the voices of Adam and Eve. After Eve misquotes the words of God, when he said, she said earlier that we're not even to touch the tree, it's not exactly what he said. We don't hear from Eve again until she blames the serpent. The devil made me do it. That same excuse has been used ever since. Every time we hear Adam's voice, it seems to be a little bit more of an excuse. He had an excuse for hiding. I wasn't quite ready for company, Lord, because I wasn't fully dressed. When he asked if he ate of the tree, he didn't answer yes or no. Instead, he answered like someone who had his hand caught in the cookie jar. He cried out, it wasn't my fault. It was her fault. It was the woman. You know the woman, the one that you gave me. Is any of, this, any of these excuses sounding familiar? Where, where was Adam when Eve was being tempted? Go ahead, take a look at verse 6. It says where he was. Well, he's being, being he was standing right there. Well, why didn't he speak up? Why didn't Satan address Adam? We're not told. We can make an argument that perhaps Eve was really deceived, but not Adam. With his eyes wide open, he jumped into sin. You know, knowing the difference between right and wrong is hard enough. But oh, it takes courage in order to choose that which is right or that which is best. It, it's always somebody else's fault. I mean, just ask the Republicans or the Democrats. Just ask the rich or the poor or this race or that race. Most of us can come up with an excuse of why we do what we do when it comes to disobedience. But we're without excuse. We, we've talked about the voice of Satan and the voice of lies, the five-step process, three-step process. The dwelling places of our hearts and minds are private property. Only the Lord should have access. 
Satan has no control over these. He knows our tendencies, but he cannot read our minds. He tempts and prods, but we make up our own minds. And with the help of the Holy Spirit, we are able to choose wisely. Why is there suffering and pain in the world? Well, at least one of the reasons is because we were made with the freedom to choose. And we have all gone astray and we are without excuse. We kind of say, well, we were just made this way. Because we weren't just made this way. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul is talking in Romans chapter 1 and verse 20. And he's speaking particularly to those who've never heard of Christ or those who don't know Jesus. He says, for the sense of the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities... His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so people are without excuse. So let's ask the question, why were we given the freedom to choose when we just seem to mess everything up? Why is that tree in the garden? It is because we were also made with the freedom to worship. We were made with the freedom to obey. We were made with the freedom to serve and to love and to know Christ. I'm not, I'm not pretending to answer all the questions about pain and suffering in this world, but the opportunity to know Jesus and to have an eternal, unique relationship must have been worth the risk. Just like you want your children and your spouse and your friends to like you and to love you, Without the choice, there would be no way that we could have received and reciprocated God's love. But there's another voice in the garden on that day. We've heard of it already. It is the voice of holiness and grace. The voice of holiness and grace. Adam heard the voice of God searching for him. And God knew right where Adam was hiding because sin causes separation and Adam needed to know where Adam was. Do you know where you are today in relationship to a holy and gracious God? It may be why we've gathered here on this first Sunday in December so that we might be able to recognize where we are in relationship to God and where it is that we need to be. Like Adam and Eve, we, we severely underestimate the impact of sin on our lives and the world in which we live. As we find in Genesis chapter 3, all of creation was affected. Everything that God made that was good was poisoned. There were consequences in the judgment of sin. Listen to what God said to the serpent in verses 14 and 15. We read it early. Let's read it again. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I'll put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Be sure there are consequences for the serpent and for Satan. Satan had come to indwell the serpent in the garden on that day. And the serpent must have been some magnificent creature at that time. Now, most People don't necessarily like snakes. There are some people that do. Uh, I just call those peculiar people, I guess, if you really like snakes. And um, we, had a, uh, we had a creek, we, we have a creek running through our neighborhood. And every now and then when there's lots of rain, uh, 
snakes will actually leave that creek. They're black, non-poisonous snakes that come out, sometimes get into the yards. And if you have an HOA, then you probably know there's some way in which you communicate to one another through emails or postings or those kinds of things. And so the postings came about the snakes in the neighborhood, and they were coming out of the creek. And then there were some postings that said, uh, oh, please don't kill the snakes. They're not poisonous. Pick them up and put them back in the creek. Well, you know, when... One person posted, I wish I'd have posted this, said, listen, if a snake comes into my yard, they're going to be met by three friends, me, Smith, and Wesson. And uh, there you are. You are here today. That's good. I appreciate you coming, being a part. But make no mistake, Eve's offspring. Notice, singular, if you're looking at verse 15, he will crush, the same word for bruise, is Jesus will crush Satan by his death and the resurrection. Satan may have seemed to have won a battle for a short time, but Jesus defeated death and Satan and sin when he rose again. This is the prophecy that would be born from Eve's offspring of who would defeat Satan. This is the first good news of the gospel that is proclaimed in Scripture. Merry Christmas. Jesus is coming. And we understand from this first prophecy that we're talking about that will... Take us hopefully through even Christmas Eve and maybe the Sunday after. We're going to continue to add to the prophecies. First thing that we know that the Messiah, the Savior of the world, would be born of woman. Notice what God said to the woman in verse 16. To the woman, He said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Now the pains of childbirth will be a reminder of the birth of sin. Not to mention the sins of the children that will bring heartache and pain to parents because of sin entering the world. And even God-ordained marriages will struggle and need God's help if they're to last a lifetime. Then God said to Adam, verses 17 through 19, much more said to Adam, even than the serpent, Satan, or the woman. Verse 17, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you and pains you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. You shall eat the plants of the field, but the, by the sweat of your face you shall not eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The very ground that Adam was to work was cursed, and it was not just that man would suddenly have to work. But that work would not always be easy. Thorns and thistles and even pest and pestilence would be real symbols of the consequences of sin. Thus, from the sin of Adam and our sins, the world is a far from perfect place and can no longer be called as it was in Genesis 1 and 2, very good place. However, don't leave just yet because there's another part of the story which you've already alluded. There's another side of this holiness coin just as the holiness of God brings judgment, it also allows for grace. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 17, God said that if Adam or Eve ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they would surely die. But they did not die, at least not immediately. Genesis 5, 5 says that Adam lived to be 930 years of age. Growing up, I was taught that they died spiritually. They were separated from God, and that may be so. But that's not what the Bible's talking about here. In fact, right after they sinned, God came looking for Adam. And they had this long conversation, albeit it was not all that positive. 
But God did not disappear strike down into Bolivia, nor were they so far away that they could not hear God's voice. Did God lie? Of course not. But God being God left room for grace and time for Adam and Eve and for men and women and boys and girls and teenagers to be able to know God. Genesis 3 helps us to understand why there's sin and suffering in the world, about the consequences of sin, and about God's holiness, and about God's grace. In fact, it's laced with grace. There's pain in childbirth. But oh, there's great joy in the birth of a child and the rearing of children who love you and love the Lord. There's struggles in marriage. But how beautiful a marriage is to when they are devoted to one another and dedicated to God. Working can be tough, but there's great satisfaction that can be accomplished with hard work and an honest day's labor while fulfilling God's purpose. Then we notice in verse 20, we've read through 19. If you notice in verse 20, Adam called the woman Eve. In fact, we didn't have a name for her until after the fall. And he calls her the mother of all the living. Not the mother of all the dying, more grace. And when Adam named Eve and declared her to be the mother of all the living, he was declaring, I believe, a profession of faith in what God had declared about a coming Savior to be born who would crush the head of Satan. Death came to the garden for the first time with the killing of animals, but God provided graciously clothes so that they would not have to live in shame and also meat that they could eat. They were to be driven from the garden as consequences of sin, but also so that they would not live forever in this fallen, imperfect world and in their imperfect state. Even death for the believer is evidence of God's grace. Well, that's explanations from the Bible, at least some of it. But lest we get bogged down with explanation, let's not miss the application. Let's see what we must do not to stay in sin but to be able to listen and follow God more closely, particularly this season, beginning of December, what can we do to be sure that we're prepared to celebrate as we should, prepared to move over? Well, we've got to do something with sin. We must realize the beginnings of temptation. We've talked about the five stages and the three stages of temptation and sin. If we can begin to spot the early stages and put a stop before it becomes sin, well, then we can make right choices. Doubt is not always sin unless we allow it to lead to denial. Doubt is often a feeling that we need to take, to turn that feeling over to God and declare in our minds that we believe in God and believe in our Lord and Savior to be right and follow Him instead. If something is pleasing to the eye but it's not pleasing to God, well, then we need to let those unhealthy desires and less than spiritual thoughts not take root in us but instead be sure that we are well-grounded and have foundation in the Lord Jesus. Also, repetition of God's Word, if you're still following along in the notes, repetition, meaning not just repeating it over and over again, but continually being in the Word of God. Adam and Eve had a word from God, although it was brief. Eat anything that you want in the garden, but not this one tree. That word could have kept them from sin. Jesus uses God's words and repeats it back when he's tempted in the wilderness. The psalmist said, Thy word I've hid in my heart that I may not sin against thee. Reading, studying, and memorizing becomes important when it comes to spiritual warfare. You and I, we're pretty vulnerable out there without the sword of truth in our arsenal to be used by the Holy Spirit to help us 
to stay on the straight and narrow. Then we need to recognize God's voice. Uh, this becomes important. How do you recognize God's voice? Do you know that when Adam and Eve were hiding in the garden after they'd sinned, the Bible says that they recognized that God coming. They heard God coming. What do, you, what do you think that sounded like? It must not have sounded like any other animal in the garden. It must not have sounded like anything in the, like the rustling of trees. John said in Revelation when he heard God's voice, it sounded like loud blast of trumpet. Isaiah heard the voice of God. His presence filled the temple. The Bible also says it sounds like the rush of mighty waters or the peals of thunder. Paul heard the voice of Jesus and it knocked him off his donkey. Elijah heard a still small voice. So the sound of God, it must be something different than anything else in the garden on that day. That might be a clue. Because you see, if it sounds like the world, if it sounds like the voice of lies, or even if it sounds like you and me, it might not be the voice of God. Because His ways are not our ways. No, the voice of God sounds more like, love thy neighbor as thyself. Behold, I make all things new. Come to me, all ye who are burdened and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. But be sure it is a lifetime quest recognizing and following the voice of God and being in His presence. In John Bunyan's book, Pilgrim's Progress, which still may be the second most printed book ever, Christian is the main character, and he's traveling along on a journey, and one part he's about to come across a path over a deep, dark chasm in a deep, dark canyon. Fearing lest he falls, then he hears a voice from out of the darkness. Keep your ears attuned to my voice. Come straight to me, and you'll be all right. We too face deep and dark, difficult situations. Sometimes we hesitate also lest we fall. Even in this imperfect, sinful, fallen world, if we listen to His voice and follow, we will be all right. And then, if we're going to be prepared, if we're going to be ready, we need to repent because of God's grace. It is true we were born into sin because we're part of the Adams family. But each of us are responsible for our own sins. And Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, the first prophecy of the coming Messiah, answers the question, what will God do with sin in the world and what will He do to show how much He loves us? For the fulfillment of Genesis 3.15 is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. You want to be prepared to celebrate the promise of that everlasting life. You want to be prepared to celebrate the promise of the one who has overcome sin, Satan, and death. And the Bible says if for believers, it means that we need to know where we are in our relationship to our holy and gracious God. Do we need to confess our sins? And truly, we need to confess our sins daily and be sure that we're in that right relationship with God so we might be able to recognize His presence in our life and recognize the voice and where He's leading us and what He wants us to do. And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you might recognize that there's a voice outside of your heart. There's a voice that is 
can still be recognized the voice that says, I love you and I have a plan for your life. And today the Lord wants to give you life, new life, an everlasting life. If you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, part of that is the first step in receiving the free gift is repenting of sin and placing your faith in Jesus. We will encourage you to do that today. Whether you're here today, you're listening, live stream. Don't wait till Christmas. Don't wait till sometime in the future. But today, give your heart and life over to Him. Let's pray together. Father God, we recognize Your presence in this place. We thank You for Your goodness. And we thank You, Father, that we can come into Your presence today and know that You care for us and that You want to speak to us. And we know that You do that through Your Word. We know that You do that through the example of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Even through the hymns and the songs that we sing and prayers that are prayed, we know that you're also speaking to us, and we thank you for that opportunity. And we pray, Father, as we have come and we've talked about what took place in Genesis 3 that pointed to a time that was to come. When, Thank you, Father, that we know that there was one who was born of woman who came to be the Savior of the world. Thank you now that he lived amongst us and died and rose again. We pray, Father, that because of that, we no longer are slaves to sin. Help us to live, Father, the free lives that you would have us to live, using our freedoms to bring you glory and to help one another. Father, we pray if there's one that does not know you as Lord and Savior today, that today might be the day of salvation. Thank you, Father, for how you continue to be at work. It's in Christ's name we lift these prayers. Amen.